0: It's Tommy Yanulis, one of the founders here at Ops Analytica and unfortunately for you, you're listening to another episode of the Sassholes.
1: Welcome to Sassholes. With decades of making interesting decisions, Jamie and Pete are dedicated to helping aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with their no BS approach and tactics. Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. We'd like to thank Demand Farm Analytics, Trent S. and Aaron Jay for their continued support. Demandfarm.com, unlock key account growth, smart software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Go to Demandfarm.com, ask for Man. Hey, check out Brent Keltner's Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass on winanalytics.com. In eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in a new buyer environment. Sign your team up for the masterclass today at winanalytics.com. If you'd like to help us out to improve the quality of our content, go to patreon.com slash sassholes. Hey, we got some shout-outs. Jessica Segura, got a new gig, as professional recruiter at Bon Secours Mercy Health. Dan McFerrin, new gig and consumer insights lead at Agency Solutions at 84.51 degrees. Pete Browerman, five years at SAP. Brian Sert, new position sales account manager at Aon. Eric Allen, new gig, enterprise account executive at Twilio. Vernon Young, five years at Ford Motor Company. Mark Blozes, nine years at W.R. Malcar Company. Eric Alvarez, three years at Logicate. Jeff Cleesby three years at Infuse Media. Mr. Dave Burkus 15 years at Four Portfolio Companies. Amber Clark, seven years at Software AG. Pat Gleason got a new gig as Director of Operations at IGT Logistics Incorporated. And then we have some birthdays. Happy birthday, Mackenzie Maitland, Bruce Himmelblau, Natalia, Grigoriev, Daniel Scove, Molly Bendel, and Jen Igartois. What Tommy, what is Ops Analytica?
0: So that's we are an operations analytics platform, right? So all we focus on is helping our clients manage and measure their field operations and their team operations. So like a POS system and a business is going to manage sales and track product mix and help you, you know, take in money and everything. We're all about the, like all, there's no repeatable business in the world that doesn't have a bunch of procedures, right? And we're just all about helping big multi-location organizations manage those procedures, make sure that people are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing so that we can have the highest sales, highest profits, highest customer satisfaction possible.
1: So you make checklists easier without paper, is that right?
0: Yeah, you know, yeah, yes, we do. But I think it's more than like we make the checklist in the platform. But really what we try to do is take the guesswork out of running the business, right? Because what happened was if you look at this this business today and you look at the same business in 1980, the difference is today's version of it is 100 times more complicated because now every manager is running another 30 apps on top of all the stuff they needed to do in 1980. And so they forget things and like people don't pay as much attention and there's there's not as much pride in a lot of times people's work and they're distracted by phones and the internet and blah 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 blah. And all of a sudden you you just start to you just start to like miss little things that you've already identified you need to do to take care of people, to be fast, to be clean, to maximize your sales opportunity every shift and you start missing them. And that's the whole purpose of these checklists. It's not to like be big brothery. It's to go, hey dude, like if you don't turn the open sign on, then someone might drive by and think we're not open, right? If you don't have the music on, we don't get the ambiance we want. If you don't thaw the burger patties, then it takes four minutes to cook one versus two. And the line at the drive through so long, people drive by. Like, it's just all the little death by a thousand cut things that are killing everyone's business because people suck. And then like, you're just gonna, ah. You're just driving yourself crazy so, right
1: so how, how does this work with the uh the little checklist in the washroom when the guy's got to go in there and sign it and date it oh, i have list? so
0: every time i go to a place i take a picture of those because i want to put a, i want to put them all on a blog yeah like that's legitimately it like it's but that's a thing like where they're trying to show you hey we know the bathroom is important in most restaurants the bathroom is like one of the key things yeah. right we know so like in our system everything's scheduled out you just go in and it just says, oh, at two o'clock, you got to do a bathroom check. At three o'clock, you got to do this check. At you know five, you got to do a line check. And then it just takes the guesswork out of everything and like at a high level.
1: So why don't managers uh, do checklists or like checklists? What's the what's the issue? Lazy, oh. tired, overworked, burnt out, underpaid?
0: Yes. And then uh, now I think what it is, honestly, is a. Uh, People feel like, man, I have worked here for 20 years. You know, I've been a restaurant manager. I've been I've been working in restaurants since I was 14 years old. I, that's me. Right. I know how to run restaurants. And so, and they go, okay, so I don't need a checklist to tell me what I already know. The problem is, is that the checklist isn't telling you what you already know. The checklist is just reminding you to double check things that we know are important, right? And so there's a lot of ego in there. And I would also say that the reason why checklists, people hate checklists so much is that in the past when you could only do them on paper, which is like up in, I mean, paper is still my biggest competitor, by the way, Yeah, yeah. but like, you know, when like they started doing checklists in the seventies, eighties, nineties, you know, it was always like. They had no way of knowing what was happening operationally in their business in real time. So instead, they focused on training because they could control that. We'll train the hell out of everybody. We'll give them a ton of paper checklists. But there was no easy way to go in and look at those checklists to see that people were doing them, to hold them accountable to doing them. All the data left on them was just like, you know, I knew of a guy who like every six months a shredder truck pulls up and they throw their checklists in it. So it's like, you basically told the person, this is useless. I don't care about it. I don't ask about it. I don't check it. You don't use the data for anything. And, but yet you make me do this all the time when I get dinged on my audit, when I haven't done them. So they just like, they sent mixed messages. These are important. You should do them, but I'll never look at them. Never use the data. Never do anything. So people were like, dude, why am I wasting my time doing this when there's a hundred other things I need to do right now right? So then it just became this thing where they add zero value. Um, And I don't blame the people in the restaurants or any business for feeling that way if you're doing them on paper. But when you flip them to digital, now we're actually able to collect data. We can identify problems we didn't even know we had. You can actually get your voice heard by corporate by just filling the thing out. So it's a completely different world, but we're battling that old sort of, you know, ugh, this is a waste of my time. And I'll be honest, when I was a restaurant manager before I owned this company, I was like, I'm not doing that. I gotta like, I gotta call 50 waiters and get them in here. So I'm, you know, I'm good. I'll let someone else handle that.
1: Well, the, well, expect what you inspect, right? Or inspect what you expect. And if yeah. you're the owner and you wanna, I mean, cameras have helped in, in the businesses, yeah. right? Cameras has, have helped, the electronics has, has helped how uh, walk me through like uh, an opening manager coming through, like how, how do they use your product uh, and how does that make it easier for the owner that cares to take a look at it?
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's really what it's about, too. It's the absentee owner. It's the guy who's got 20 restaurants and can't be in all of them all the time. Right. You cannot like every business has to focus on consistency and brand execution. Right. That's it. You have to be like, Hey, our advertising and how we market our business sets the standard for the kind of service you're going to get, whether you're Roost Chris or your Tommy's sub shop, you know, that's just got like a case of meat and like good Italian meatballs and all that kind of stuff. Right. doesn't matter. Like your marketing sets a tone. Then what people expect is, is that you, they come into your building, it's clean and presentable and nice. They expect that you're going to give them exactly what you've promised you're going to give them when they pay you money. So you execute your product. And then finally, you're going to get it as quick as the occasion calls for. So obviously, Ruth's Chris is a two-hour, three-hour dinner. Tommy's sub shop should be 10 minutes, right? That's what they want from you. They don't even need you to be nice to them if you do those three things. Like if you're clean, you're fast, and you do what you say you're going to do. So that's all they want from your business. And the checklist, so a manager comes in first thing in the morning, they're going to grab their tablet in the restaurant, they're going to whip out their phone. Most places have a tablet now, it seems like, because they get it through label printing or DoorDash or somebody. So they have a tablet, they open up Ops Analytica, and right there at the taps this is going to be their calendar for the day, right? Their schedule. And so then they're going to have an opening checklist dim by nine. And then they're going to have a line check, which is like a food safety check by 11 and a tasting check. And so they just literally, they just look at their schedule for the day and we have all kinds of schedules. So you might be, this might be Wednesday. So it's now hood vents day too. So now mentally you can go, okay, we got to do hood vents tonight because it's on Wednesday. They just click a button and it opens up a checklist and it just takes them through all the little things they need to go check. And invariably, like a human brain can only keep four or five items in there at any given time. Like that's that's as much of our list tracking capability. Um, And so. You know, there might be 20 or 30 items on there. Just all the little things you need to go check. Are there paper towels in the bathroom? Is there soap in the bathroom? Has the toilet like been cleaned? Is there hand soap by the hand sink? Did you check the back door? Did you get the bread order? You know, all the little things that you just need to mentally go through. So that's what we're talking about. It's just hitting those little items that you have to go do. And I just think of it as like controlling what you're supposed to control, you know? The economy, uh, COVID, employers, like the government, everybody's messing with business right now. It feels like right, and the issue is is like okay, that's happening and it's bad, but like we can't we can't get bogged down by that. We have to like let that go on a daily basis and just focus on what we can control because that's all we can do. Because we have inflation, we have all we're having a hard time finding employees. It doesn't matter nobody cares because we're still charging full price or even more than full price than what people were used to paying right and those people expect the service the cleanliness and the product execution and they don't care either so you just got to control what you can control and that just takes disciplined managers following systems and that's all it takes and you can pull ahead of all your competitors if you just execute right Mm -hmm. those three things it's crazy Tommy,
1: I'm in uh, Chicago. Where are you at? I'm in uh, south of Denver, but I lived in Chicago for a while. Oh, okay. Then are you familiar with Gibson's? Yes, I love Gibson's. Old school Uh, friend of mine works there. And I don't know if your product's in there or not. Let's just talk about how would you get into, let's talk about the process, eating your own dog food. How would you use Hop Analytica to get into that, to follow the checklist? Did I make a phone call? Did I send an email? What do? You, how do you got? How would you guys use that? And how how would you sell it to uh, Gibson's? So, by the way, we talked to Gibson's twice over the last like
0: five years, and I think they went with somebody else, but we didn't talk to them because they were expanding. So, yeah. and I love Gibson's. There's one right off of like, uh, it's like right by uh, Wrigleyville. It's like in between Wrigleyville and by Nepal, because that's the yeah. one I know. But like, so. Here's the deal, so if I'm a chain restaurant or anything, chain of anything, we have dental offices, we've got uh, oil change places, doesn't matter, multi-location business. If I'm the guy who's managing those things, the idea about this is that we kind of build something and then we fire and forget it, right? So we go through and we load all these checklists up and we put them out to the locations and then we can get notifications when people aren't doing them correctly, like real time, like, hey, this thing's late. So you can literally be, let's say you're the district manager and you run 10 stores. You can be in one store helping a manager, being there for that day, kind of your day in that store. And you can literally get notified on your phone Hey, man, this guy's struggling over here. You can be firing off text messages. So you're literally able to be in every location sort of simultaneously from an operations perspective. So you can be following up, offering help, seeing what's going on while you're sitting in another building working with that manager. And that's really like a a huge part of this because. In the past, if you manage multi-location businesses, there was no easy way to understand how those businesses were operating kind of in real time or even like within a weekly, monthly basis, because you couldn't be in them simultaneously, right? So what happened is you would look at other KPIs to figure out like what was happening. So you look at sales, right? Sales is obviously great, but then you want to look at food cost. In a restaurant, you'd be looking at costs, right? Food costs, labor costs, beverage costs, paper costs. You're going to look at your customer satisfaction number if you've got some sort of way of tracking that, like a survey system or something. But I mean, realistically, with customer satisfaction, it's the craziest, most pissed off 5% and the happiest 5% and the middle 90 just don't even bother, right? So you're getting skewed results. And then you might look at if you had like health inspections from the city or some third party auditor, and then you would try to use all those KPIs to back into is this place doing well or not, right? The problem is they're all lagging indicators of actual ops. So if you're operating, Like, you know, that's what we need to track, not what happened with sales. I mean, you can have the best location, you could be at an airport, like you could be at Midway where you're gonna get guaranteed 5 million a year because you're just in Midway, but you could be the worst restaurant in Midway, but nobody knows because they all come through one time a year and so they just keep, you know, and then next year they forgot that you suck and then you're just back again and you're just capturing insanity revenue. But it doesn't mean you're good doesn't yeah, mean you're not yeah. getting people sick, doesn't mean that you're you're displaying the brand well, you just happen to be in this psychopath
1: location where millions of people walk by, so I mean, you yeah, know, I, I know you haven't done it yet, but it seems to me like in sales operations, just in, you know, in the regular corporate world, you could have, hey, did the sales rep show up for training? Did they? bloom? did they? Yeah. Right, right, and if you're a chief revenue officer or your sales vp you can get your list you know coming in saying all right here's who showed up I, like you said it, people are scared about being big brother but they're also yeah. scared about not hitting their numbers you know did they log in did they, you know if they're going to the office did the key card get tagged you know that all, all that stuff so uh, well, there's I,
0: so many white collar applications for this, especially for consultants and salespeople. Like, yeah, talk to you manage all the stages of the deals. Did you identify pain? Right. Like, you know, are you managing the deal correctly? Because If you know, because all these guys, they just want to jump from like, hey, I had a quick intro to let's do a pilot. And you're like, no, dude, you don't know who's buying this thing. You don't have budget. You don't have any of this stuff. Like, go get that stuff figured out before you come wasting my time about doing a pilot. Because this guy's not going to buy
1: because you have no levers to pull, you know. Well, you get all the all the corporate guys that are watching and listening right now saying, Hey man, we're not a restaurant. We're not that, you know, we're not that agent ancient. I can just use, you know, my reminders. I can use this. What do you say to them?
0: You know, the thing about reminders is, is that they're all singular and focus. And I use the reminders app too for work stuff, right? Just because I can Siri into it. And I like that a lot. They're all singular focus, but like that doesn't work when you have a complex business process. Are you going to create 47 reminders in order so that you capture all the things you need to capture? That's the beauty of a checklist as a checklist is 20 or 30 reminders hooked together into one entity. You know, and I would tell all your corporate guys, if they're just like, if you're flying a lot or you, you're you stuck in traffic, you like Audible, go get Atul Gawande's The Checklist Manifesto and listen to that.
1: It Wait, is say it, that again. I haven't heard of that. Tool what? Oh, his name's Atul
0: Gawandi. He's a A-T-U-L-G-W-A-N-D-E. He is a Harvard surgeon. And I think he was tapped by Amazon to run their healthcare business. And it's called the Checklist Manifesto. And it's a wonderful, easy listen. And it just goes through the history of checklists. But he specifically is talking about it from this idea of what they call the safe surgery checklist, which was they had all these surgeons that were basically out there and they were seeing these high infection rates and all these things. And they were going, how can we make surgery safer And then they realize there's like seven steps that they have to do pre-surgery. And if they miss any one of those steps, it can lead to a higher uh, incidence of infection, mistakes, whatever. And it's like dumb stuff, like forgetting to put the iodine on the wound area before you drape the wound and you, you miss that one thing and like infection and death go up, like the percentage goes through the roof. And they were going, okay, we need to do this for like third world surgery, right? That's what they were thinking. And it just, it's his whole story of how checklists were invented in the Army Air Force. And, you know, they talk a little bit about restaurants, but great listen, and it will change your world on checklists because the numbers they were seeing when they implemented it and the fight they were getting from the surgeons And he had a great point too. He's like, you're never going to find a group of people. Like, so the big complaint with checklists are like, you know, well, they're not effective. Right. Or, you know, we just need more training or better employees or whatever. And he was like, that's bull. The human brain cannot keep up with the amount of detail we need it to track. And he's like, you're never going to find a group of people that are more educated, more highly paid or more specialized than surgeons.
1: So if it's helping them, it's going to help everybody. Right. Tommy, I, I'm just quickly looking at an article that you guys have out there. Uh, maybe you're familiar w- with it or not. Uh, Chief Revenue Officer makes field audits much simpler. Yeah. How, 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 would the, how, how does it, the people that are using it, How basically, is it all the stuff that you just said? Or is there something specific on that article you want to touch on? Well, I think what it is too is like, okay,
0: yeah. So what, how, how this gets made easier is this. When you have a paper checklist, right, or a paper audit, anything, it's always the lowest common denominator thing. Like they can only fit so much, so much room on a piece of paper and, and, and it's always the lowest common denominator and that's not great. One of the things that makes us unique in this space is that we have the best business logic engine around. So we can build things like we call dynamic checklists. And a dynamic checklist is a checklist that automatically uh, conforms itself to the location you're going to. So what that means is you get one checklist, which makes it easier to report off of, manage, all that stuff. But uh, for the end user, when I go to this location here, that's got a parking lot and bathrooms and signage because it's a freestanding location and, and like whatever, strip center, that checklist changes for that location so that it captures everything that needs to be at that location. But if I go to, let's say like a a mall location that doesn't have as much, doesn't have bathrooms, doesn't have any of that other stuff, it's just a counter and a back room, the checklist, same checklist goes, oh, I don't need any of that. And it just conforms to that. So just by doing that one thing, you're always getting the perfect checklist or inspection for that location which means that the person filling it out doesn't have to think they just have to do okay check this check this check this they don't have to go well is that a freezer is that a walk-in is that thing important or is that not important you can take that kind of like stress out of the process The other part of having a digital checklist is you can do things you can't do on paper, I have a little help section on every question that's optional, you can put in job aids links to videos training materials standards, so that as the person's walking through doing this checklist, they can literally see They have every piece of information they would ever need there to make the proper decision. And you can cross utilize all your training materials there. So you can you're actually looking at what is the actual standard for the company? What is safe? How do I do this? And then the third part of that is we can take people through corrective actions in line. So here's the thing, like we deal with a lot of safety and compliance, whether it be an automotive, dental, whatever, there's government agencies paying attention to some of the stuff that we're doing. Well, food safety is an example of, that's not something I can identify at 1045. Hey, this is like, this sauce is 60 degrees and it's basically just a bacteria breeding ground. I'll deal with that after lunch, right? I'll just put a pin in that and move on with my day. Now you're about to serve this to 200 people at lunch. You could get some people sick, you know, you can't put a pin in it. So we have the ability to make people deal with stuff in real time, you know, and fix things before they affect customers. And that's the whole point, right? Like the whole point of checklist is controlling what you can control, but it's about, you're never gonna be perfect. So what I do is when I identify an issue, that's not bad. What's bad is if I don't solve the issue before it affects customers, right? So if I identify there's a problem, I go, oh, this sauce is too cold. Go throw it on the stove for five minutes, get it up to 165 and then put it back. Problem solved, man. No big deal, right? No harm, no foul. I actually like to see that happen because it. know I know that my team is like identifying issues and solving them before they affect customers. And you know, that's what it all boils down to: controlling what you can control, right?
1: So, so Tommy, how are you going to market? Meaning, like, how are you getting new new logos to come on board? Obviously, you're using podcasts, right? Or yeah, have you you've been doing them for a while? Like, how's that been working out for you? So Obviously, I have, not, I not that well with this one, but <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, your listener will really enjoy this
0: episode and it should be fun. <laughs> 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 no, um, what's it called? So, I have my own podcast, which I do, uh, you know, just and I do that really from a perspective of making content quicker. So, I write most of the blogs for our company, and uh, blogs take eight to 12 hours of time to write. Well, I got to edit them. I write them all out. Then I go back and go, Holy hell, what the hell was I saying here? And then I'm just banging around on them for a couple of days. And then I finally get them out. And now I'm at a point where like, I kind of go, we're all write Like six or eight blogs in like a month. And then I stop for three or four months, get some new ideas, come back and hit it. Podcasting is great because podcasting for my podcast, it's just an easy way to create content get somebody on, do an hour interview, spend 20 minutes putting the thing together, get it launched on SoundCloud and I'm done. Um, so it's just a quicker way to generate uh, content for the site. But then I wanted to talk at conferences, right? Because I like, I like to talk. I was a stand-up comic for a lot of years. I like to get in front of people. You're a funny around. guy. Yeah. So I just try to, I want to make some conversations, but the, you know, the conference industry, like just it's so expensive to talk at a conference like very few of the people that you see talking at the conferences you go to did not pay to play right and they they are a silver sponsor of the convention they had to have a booth they had to stand there for three days blah 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 you know and then they get like a 20-minute speech which who knows how many people will get into it and i thought to myself man i don't want to do all that that seems horrible uh, but what I do want to do is get in front of the same groups of people. And I feel like these specialty podcasts, right, mm-hmm. are a great. The same guy that's going to that conference and is going to sit there and listen to me speak is going to listen to me in the airport on a podcast on his way to that conference. And it's it was way more cost effective to just get a podcast agent and get out there and start selling my wares. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, well, hopefully we're giving some content out there instead of a sales pitch, right?
0: Yeah, no, And
1: that's honestly, that's all I want to do. Like,
0: I like to talk about the platform, but what I really want to talk about is operations management as a theory, yeah, because yeah. it's new, because we've never had the ability to do this kind of stuff because we never had the technology. Like if the McDonald's brothers had started McDonald's today, they would 1000% have implemented my platform or a platform like mine to do this because they would have gone, there's a giant hole in our visibility into what's happening in these businesses. Let's fill that with technology. The reality is, is that they started in the forties and fifties and they didn't have that technology. And so they did the next best thing, which was systematize everything, train the hell out of everything and then build paper systems to track stuff, right? But then, like I said, over time, those paper systems just no one ever looked at them. And they just kind of got a bad rap. But I mean, that's the best they could do at the time with the technology that they had. And, but now we're making this huge leap. Like for the first time in the world, I'm tracking, I'm taking this black hole, which is human activity, and I'm putting some, like, I'm putting it into a database where you can report off of it, you know?
1: Yeah. Tommy, how the hell do you get a hold of a restaurant owner? I would imagine you're dealing more with chains and whatnot, but uh, (laughs) there's nothing worse than trying to. Get time with them. And in the time that you do get, they're not paying attention at all.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cause they're in the restaurant and like 50 yeah. people come up and asking for their keys. Like, hey, can I get your keys real quick, Bob? So we generally don't work with a lot of single unit operators. We have a right. couple. The, the ones that are most successful with us are the guys that are like those big, like big restaurants that make five, 10 million a year, like destination restaurants, because they actually have enough different teams working there that they actually need some accountability but if yeah. a, a mom and pop like you know sub shop, they don't need it because they're there 7 days a week anyways right yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's they they look at it as i'm just making more work for myself now i will say and and that's you know so that's tough like the big issue is this and i and i do truly believe that this is a big problem in the industry is the managers aren't delegating this stuff to the employees and they should be they should be going and saying, hey, because our system offers real-time collaboration, meaning that multiple people could be in a checklist simultaneously, right? So kind of like a Google Doc or like a you know Office 365, we could both be in the same spreadsheet, very similar to that. And I do think just in general for operators across the board, you have a team, they have stations in your business. You should go in and instead of you trying to do this entire checklist, like, and for 45 minutes in your busiest time of day, which is the setup period, right before you open for business, you need to go and do parts of it, then hand a tablet to the guys to go, hey, do your station, hand it to this person, have them do their station. I'm going back to do these other things. And we can all get it done in 15 minutes and actually get the benefit of it, right? Versus me pencil whipping it because I just have to get it done in like, or I don't have time to actually do it. So that's a huge issue, but you asked a question about how do you contact these guys? It is horrible. It is so hard to find these guys because, you know, the the guys you want to talk to, like we, we mostly want multi-location businesses. So we can call corporate, but corporate, it depends if they're franchisee or corporate owned. And that's where any of these businesses, if they're franchisee, then they may have ultimate power like McDonald's, where they can literally do anything like the czars. Or they might be like, they might have their hands tied on everything and all they can really do is just make suggestions and hope that people kind of follow them, right? And that's based off their FDD, which is that franchise the agreement they have. And then, so that that's a big thing. So you try to call them, but then generally franchisors, they only care about sales. So they don't really care about profits and whatnot. So they only look at systems that are going to increase sales or sales tracking. Um, And so they, and they don't want to battle it out with the franchisees either. So they're very reticent unless they think this is going to increase their revenue to push anything down into the world. So we try to call them, but then we also try to call the big multi-unit franchisees. Those are the guys that really care about this stuff because they care about sales, but they care about profits too, because that's where they make their money, right? Is off the profits a franchisor just gets a percentage of sales. So that's why they only care about sales. Cause if you sell a million bucks, they get 7% of that and they're happy. But like, like if I have a, a restaurant, I care about the actual profits that come out the bottom of that thing because that's where I make my money. Like sales are great, but I need profits. So franchisors are a good group to go to. The problem with those guys are, they got a business like Tommy Corp. And you go Tommy Corp and they're they're on LinkedIn. They don't even have a website for Tommy Corp. They just use, you know, whatever their franchisor's website is and all their hiring tools and stuff. So you can't even go to Tommy Corp's website. You have no idea who it is. And by the way, Tommy Corp owns 200 Pizza Huts. It is exactly who you want to talk to, but you don't know that because you're just like, ah, who is this guy? So it is a lot of like legwork and calling and list building and stuff like that to get in touch with these guys. But what's cool is that we've been here for seven and a half years, right? We're a bootstrap startup. We started with our own money, you know, didn't make salaries for a bunch of years, built this thing from scratch. We've been out there for seven and a half years, prolifically creating content. We and so now on the when the big chains look at this stuff, they call us. So that's what's really cool, but we still have to do a lot of outbound to get people to talk to us,
1: you know? You get you guys are basically national account execs, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. So it's there. There's no uh, small business group. There's no mid mid market. You guys are national account execs. And when they use your product, Tommy, what's like the number one, number two thing that gets fixed right away? Not maybe not fixed, but the job of the leader is to remove obstacles. What obstacles do you see get removed when they start to use your product? So I think the biggest obstacle is for like corporate, whoever purchases it is they
0: now, like on day one, when people start filling out those checklists, all the reports populate, right? So like immediately on day one, you can see what's actually happening in your business. And that's a big thing that I preach. We collect what we do. There's like some data you're going to look at and be really sad about and other pieces of data you're going to be really excited about, you know? And I just say, all the data is good, man. Don't don't freak out about it. It's all good. It's just used for different things. You know what I mean? So you're, you're like literally after the first lunch, you're like, oh my gosh, I can see that everyone did their checklist. I can see that we're having an issue with this. I didn't even know that was an issue. Okay, that's easy to fix. We can address that, you know? So the first app school is, is like, you just go, wow, holy heck. Like this is easy to do. I can do it on my phone, right? So that's goodbye. The first obstacle remove. The second obstacle remove is like what you're going to start to get rid of when you're using the platform. If you're using it right, is all of those systematic little problems that you've just been dealing with or ignoring as a manager. Every time you go, well, that's not right. It's going to go. Well, take a comment. Take a photo. Do this. Do that. And so what ends up happening is. All this low-hanging fruit stuff that's happening in all these different locations you have, it gets identified every single shift. And then eventually somebody goes, hey, dude, I got to fix this. I'm tired of having to put a photo in here and saying this leaks every day. So I'm just going to get someone out here to fix it so I don't have to keep saying that. And so you can start, your team start addressing their little low-hanging fruit issues because they just don't want to like, it's embarrassing to say I've got a leak every day and the same thing and no one ever dealt with it or whatever so- it might
1: be, right? so so you, you find the owner they they buy it yeah how do you how do you keep an eye on adoption because you know the owner says okay here you go you got to use this and then the manager at the store says Fuck that yeah so
0: exactly okay yes yeah. so and that's who kills oh, by the way that's who kills most of these deals i can't tell you how many people that we have sold this to owners vps of ops. They are fully bought in on the concept. They know they need to do this. I had a donut chain that came back three times. They bought it. They never used it. They turned it off. They came back six months later. They bought it again, never used it. You would be amazed at the amount of people who cannot get their teams to do something. It's mind boggling. Those guys, it says middle manager guys, they can kill the deal for us because and and they're, they're they're very sneaky about how they do it too. Oh, the teams are too busy at the store level right now. I don't know that we can throw any more change on them. And you'd be amazed at the amount of people too that are in these jobs, they know they're doing a horrible job and they know that this is like putting a light and all the cockroaches run, you know, underneath yep, yep, everything. Yep, yep. And they don't want they don't want the visibility on what's actually happening whereas like And that's just a scared mentality, but you could also flip that mentality and go, man, we have never had the tools that we needed to manage this thing. You can just change the narrative. We've never had the tools. We're so excited about this because it's gonna allow us to identify what's actually happening and we can go address it. So we've been working in a black hole. You never gave us the tools. You could just totally flip the script on it, right? But yeah, those middle managers can kill some of these deals Uh, or they'll say here's another big one they say is uh it takes too long and what that means that's code for uh i used to just pencil whip this or not do it which took me no time at all and now you're forcing me to do something which takes is longer than what it is to lie and not do it right so it took me a second to go yes 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 And now you're actually making me do something that takes 20 minutes. So it technically does take longer, but it's not because it's actually harder to do. It's because you're actually forcing someone to do it. Right. So those are all the things that I always tell people, too. I'm like, if you've got an employee who's arguing against, even if it's sneakily against more data, more systems or more accountability, they're making an argument against those. That's the
1: wrong person for today's business. Right. Well, those are the ones that are ripping you off i mean there's yeah. some they like gray areas it's that's why
0: yeah they, yeah, they want to hide they just want you yeah. to pay them 200k a year and yeah. still get the same results and you don't yeah. know why
1: i don't know if i mean i haven't you know gone into your product but sure. i would i would think that the next level if it's not there would be gamification where you can reward and you know employee of the month or something sure. yeah give rewards for that is that is that on the table
0: it's something that we're looking at in the future it's one of those things where like it's all that's all driven by the culture of the business right like if the culture rewards those kinds of things and gamification is a great way to do it but you can't employ gamification in a toxic culture and expect it to change your mind on anything And I like gamification and, you know, you you can track like what people track in our system is what we call the completed percentage or checklist compliance, right? And that's how many of your, so we schedule all the checklists, right? So so not only with the schedule tells you when you need to get it done by, but it has an operating window in it where it opens up, let's say from 10 to 1130, and then it closes. And the reason for that is, I don't want someone to come in at 7am, grab a cigarette and a coffee, sit on the back patio or the chair and just pencil whip their checklist for the next 12 hours. Yeah. I want them to do it when it's operationally significant for the business. It does me no good. If you tell me everything was fine for dinner at 7am, I actually need you to check it. So we don't get anyone sick and that we take care of people and they get hot gravy and all the things they expect. So like, you know what i mean so part of that is we have this completed percentage it's how well you're doing at completing your checklist off the schedule and that takes and that's always a big thing at the beginning because people have to actually change how they spend their shift when they get ops analytica because they used to just bang out their checklist at the beginning of their shift and they had a whole routine and now we're saying no you got to go do it when it's supposed to be done so then they have to start organizing their day differently and moving things around because they actually have to do the job the way it was meant to be done versus how they've kind of gotten into a rut of doing it and which is fine there's always like this like little middle ground at the beginning where people aren't doing the checklist on the schedule because they can't get them they haven't shifted how they work their shift yet so then they're pulling them off like the checklist list which is just where you do one-offs, but then yeah. they don't get credit. And then they're all pissed off because they're like, Hey, I did this thing at four. Well, it was due at 1130. So no, you don't get credit for it, you know, but they manage off that completed percentage and just try
1: to get their people to go do the checklist on time, if you will. So Tom, you've been doing this for seven years and yeah. we, we all know in software that if, if, if they're not using the product, they're not going to renew it. Yep. Do you have a do you have a success team yet or do you have anybody keeping an eye on the stats that hey man, I haven't had a login in like three months and I better look so, at this
0: Yeah so you know um, what we do is so what we do implementation packages right because one of the and I, this was actually for one of our clients in Michigan he told us this he's like we fail at so many of these software programs because they expect us to implement it ourselves we, we, we don't have that skill set and we're busy running restaurants. And so we end up doing it poorly and then nobody uses it and we get no value from the system. Right. And so we have a whole implementation program. So you pay for an implementation. It's 90 days. We take all of your stuff. We digitize it. We put it in the system. We train your admins. And then we have a that Now it takes like a, depending on how big you are, a week or two, right? And then after that's done, you have basically 75 more days to sit there and iterate and ask for additional checklists and changes to be made. But basically our goal in that implementation is just to turn it over. You're going to get a fully configured, fully functioning, fully ready to go, like plug and play implementation of our solution where you don't have to do anything. We'll even help train your team if you want so that you can literally start using the platform on day one. And then after that's over, we monitor for the first six or eight weeks how well the people are doing it, adopting it. And if they're not doing well, we see those numbers. We can go in and call them and, hey, what's going on? And a lot of times we move faster than the business can move because we it's all we do is this and there are 50 different things going on. But here's what's crazy is that, knock on wood, I got to knock on some wood here. Yeah, right here. We have like, yeah, exactly. Non, we have very low churn. Like we just don't, you know, I think a normal yeah. SaaS business, like 2%, maybe five. Yeah. Ours is like less than a percent. So, and what always amazes me because, you know, I remember when it was just me and my business partner and we were doing everything and yeah. like people wouldn't use the platform or whatever. And now it's like, it's so easy to use. And we do such a good job of setting it up that sometimes we're like, we'll just move on to the next client. Then I'm like, man, I wonder if these guys are even using it yet. And then I'll just go check like two weeks later and they got 5,000 checklists done. And you're like, OMG, like yeah. that's like as a founder who remembers it from the very beginning
1: when we were babies, I'm yeah. just like always amazed.
0: I'm like, oh my God, thank you so much. Thank
1: you. so. That's much. what I want to get to, Tommy is seven years old. And, you know, you and a and, and your buddy got this thing yeah. going and you get to a certain level where you need help yep. to, to, to the other startups that are watching this. Now your business isn't theirs, but it's like, oh, wow, I need help. Like you got a sales guy first, I'm guessing. Yeah, and then- first guy
0: was a sales guy.
1: Yep. Um, the second what was, um, the, yeah.
0: Okay, so we had original team, two developers, two operator owners. And in the beginning, like year one and year two, we did everything. Like we implemented, we did marketing. I mean, every job was done by the the founders. That was it. Then the first guy we hired was a sales guy because what we realized was, is that between the two of us, we were only selling maybe 40 hours a week and like you needed growth to do everything else. And so we just said, we got to get a salesperson in here. Like no matter what we do, we had a development team, we were doing the operations. We needed someone who could spend 40 plus hours a week, 100% focused on growing the business because it wasn't an afterthought for us. But, you know, we were at this position where we would sell something and then we had to go implement it and we had to deal with everything else that came with onboarding somebody on. So sales guy was first. Uh, Then the next guy we got was a guy to help us do implementations to make those quicker. Um, And that guy's overseas and he's been with us you know, almost four years now, Uh, his anniversary is coming up here in the next couple of weeks. And he, he lives and works in the Philippines and works nights and then helps us out. Perfect. Then, then we got, uh, then the next employee was an American person to uh, a domestic person, I guess, to run implementations. Um, So now we had somebody who could get all the data from the clients and get it implemented into the system And then after that, it was more developers and more salespeople. And and all we're really going to hire is going to be salespeople and developers. And then when the customer sack guys can't keep up with the amount of business coming in, we'll hire more customer success people to help do those implementations. But that's going to be kind of the growth plan. And I'm not trying to overload me with like a bunch of like, big wig salaries or anything like that right now i just want chief revenue officer yeah yeah. i don't need cfos and cro's and marketing people and any of that like i just need people to drive new business in and fulfill that yeah. business you know so so what's the headcount at now
1: i think we're like uh at today we're like at eight people eight so, okay so it's like you you still can uh Founder-led, the culture is there. You yeah. can keep an eye on things, and uh, yeah. Oh, you'll you'll hit your fifty. You once you oh, hit yeah. fifty, you hit fifty. Then it's like it gets a little sketchy. Then you hit a hundred, and then so now, what, What's the uh, for the people that are listening, you, all my buddies out there, the spins of the world, the pop menus. What's your uh, exit plan? What, who would you like to uh, go with? You know, I think. Realistically, so what
0: we're doing is operations analytics, and we're and I have like, so here's my thing Have you read the adaptation advantage yet, or have you listened? No, to that? I have not. So I've only gone through the first third of it because I feel like most business books, and I don't know if this is true of them, but you know, most business books, the first third's great, and then the next two thirds are just regurgitating the first yeah. third. But this one's all
1: about like the a podcast. Workbook.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's all about the workplace of the future, right? And what they're saying is, is that you have to be able to adapt to the new workplace, that anything that's going to be rule-based is going to be automated, you know, and that you're going to be working, like your job is going to morph right? There's going to be automation, there's going to be workflow, there's going to be robots, there's going to be sensors. And then there's going to be you in there doing what a human can do, which is trying to bring correlations together and figure things out and manage yeah. all this stuff, right? And I, I kind of look at Office Analytica as like, if we look at like these multi-location businesses, we're going to have robots. We're already partnering with a robot guy, right? Right. There's going to be robots, there's going to be sensors, we're about to release our IoT platform to the marketplace, so we'll be able to collect sensor data, there's going to be human beings, those, and then there's going to be the internet and cash registers and other sources of data coming in. So the robots, the humans, the sensors, the internet and the POS or whatever, web store, all going to be bringing data into the business. The people that are gonna be doing things in the business are going to be the humans and the robots, right? Those two groups of people are gonna be doing the actual like boxing of things or delivering food, whatever it is. Somebody's gotta have the system because these are all gonna be siloed at the beginning, right? Somebody's gotta have the system that can take all this data in, figure out what's going on and then tell the robots and the people what to do. Like, and so that's where I'm trying to be is that conduit in the middle that can figure all that stuff out and then tell people what to do and then manage them doing it. Because if you have robots, and so that's great, you have a robot. Well, someone's got to do preventative maintenance on that robot. Someone's got to make sure it's running. Someone's got to tell it to stop dropping burger patties, you know what I mean? Or whatever it is. So um, I feel like that's where I'm trying to be. And I feel like probably a Toast or an Oracle or some big tech company who's got a POS system IBM potentially, yeah, yeah. One yeah. of those guys will eventually go. Hey, we want to be in that part of this business, and we'll just buy their customers out and
1: do the whole thing. Right, 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 right. Got it, Tommy. Tommy, what's the best way for uh, IBM and uh, Oracle to get a hold of you and watch your podcast and our viewers and and all that?
0: You know, I think it's going to be uh, you hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm always on LinkedIn. There's only one Tommy list out there, or Go to OpsAnalytica.com, which I'm sure you'll have in the show notes, and just open up a chat um, and and contact us because I, I just want to talk to people. You know, my job role has morphed over the years. All I'm about right now is finding new use cases for the platform. So I truly want to talk to as many people as possible. If you're sitting there listening to this thing going, man, I wonder if this could work for me. Don't wonder. Get in touch with me and let's just chat it out. I mean, I'm talking to like medical recyclers. I'm talking to paint recycler. I'm talking to everybody because every business is just a series of processes that need to be managed efficiently so that you can be scalable, right? And so I, I just want to chat with you and just learn what you're doing. You know, I have a pair of tennis shoes upstairs that are covered in weird paint because I went in toured a paint recycling facility here in Denver about six months ago and my shoes are totally stained, but it was like the coolest afternoon ever because I just got to watch what they were dealing with. You know what I mean? It was so neat. So I just look forward to that.
1: Tommy Enoolis, you know thank you so much for coming on The Sassholes today. <laughs> thank you so much for having me,
0: and I really appreciate it.
1: Our show is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. We'd like to thank Demand Farm Analytics, Trent S. and Aaron J. for their continued support. Demandfarm.com, unlock key account growth, smart software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Go to Demandfarm.com, ask for Ironman. Hey, check out Brent Keltner's Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass at Winnalytics.com. In eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in a new buyer environment. Sign your team up for the masterclass today at winnalytics.com. If you'd like to help us out to improve the quality of our content, go to patreon.com slash sassholes. <laughs> You know? Aww.